Welcome to episode three of Crossroads of Destiny, an Avatar The Last Airbender Universe podcast. Right now, we are talking about every episode of Nickelodeon's Avatar The Last Airbender, one at a time. I'm Chad Hopkins, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Andrew and Melanie Grant. How's it going, guys? Pretty good. Going great. Good. Well, let's not kid ourselves. We just recorded the previous episode, so we're going to go ahead and jump into this episode. Hey, everybody, this is Chad from the future, and you're about to hear a spoiler-free conversation between Andrew and I regarding the recent news of Brian Konitzko and Michael Dante DiMartino, the original show creators, unfortunately dropping out of the upcoming live-action Netflix adaptation of the series. We're sad, and we have some thoughts and ideas about what might be yet to come. It's a spoiler-free discussion, but if you want to skip it, go to the 1117 mark, and then you can go straight to our main discussion for this episode over the Warriors of Kyoshi. Thank you. Okay, so Andrew, you and I are recording this after we have recorded this episode, just so we can talk about something that was a news item that broke a couple weeks ago. Yes. And that news item is really sad. Very much so. (laughs) So everybody in the fandom already knows this, but Brian Konitsko and Michael Dante DiMartino, the creators of Avatar The Last Airbender, were attached to the live action remake for Netflix. For Netflix, yeah. And that was going to be amazing, okay? Because we got the film in 2010 from M. Night Shyamalan. And because we haven't talked about it on the podcast yet, we've made it pretty clear. Yeah. Our feelings on it. We're not Not, going to do too much spoilers. Not subtle about our feelings at all. (laughs) Well, and we'll probably get to that sooner rather than later. Because I think we'll probably talk about the movie after we finish season one of the show. Okay, yeah. But anyways, all that to say, the problem with the movie is that the creators were not attached. And so here comes Netflix. They're going to do a live action adaptation and they're attached and it's amazing. And now they've left over creative differences. And so, Andrew. Which is terrifying. It's terrifying. And I want to ask how you have creative differences with the people who made the thing you're adapting. I I don't, bro. I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me. It, how? It's their thing. Like <laughs> it's, it's their thing. They made it. They put the hard work into it. They never did, understood they did this. the animation early, like the pilot episode, not yeah. episode one, the pilot that sold the show right. was done by them. Like they drew it and put in the effort and made it happen. And for them to have been working on this for the last couple of years yeah. is when it was first announced. Yeah. And now they're stepping out. It's just so disheartening. What really bothers me is how prevalent this seems to be. This whole creative differences with someone who obviously has a vision, has brought that vision to fruition, and is now trying to recreate it in some vein. And I I get that Netflix probably isn't interested in a shot-for-shot remake of the animated series. And to be frank, nor am I. Right. Like Like, When when it comes to adaptation of a book to a movie, Mm -hmm. of a book to a TV show, whatever it is, I don't want to watch what I just read. In most cases, there are always things where it's like, oh, I read this and I want to see what it looks like on the big screen. Right. But I want them to make some decisions that makes it worth seeing something and not just like, I could have just read it again. Right. So I, I feel like the only way that I would agree with Netflix on this is if the creators were literally going for a shot for shot remake. But I don't think they were, honestly. Like, yeah. I mean... Granted, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But at the same time, if you're going to create something new, make sure it's new. Right. And so I'm, I am very nervous, mainly because we've already been exposed to. The worst of it. <laughs> and, I, and I mean exposed to. 
what a live action adaptation of this series already looks like without them involved. There are so many jokes on the internet. I literally just watched a video the other day of some guy reaming the creative process of making the Avatar movie. Mm-hmm. And it was hilarious. I, I don't remember any, like, I don't remember his name or anything, but it was just so spot on about like, and Soka. And he's like, wait, is that how you say their name? He's like, there's literally no way of me being able to verify that information. Yeah. And it's because like they didn't even, it, it never even felt like they tried to care about the original show. Right. I, I, I think that's the video that I sent you from like Screen Junkies or something, the pitch meeting. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, it, was, it was hilarious. So kudos to Screen <laughs> Junkies and whoever, whoever that was. But I just feel like we, we've already seen how bad, honestly, it can go. And I'm really not looking forward to, to reliving that. Yeah, here's my hope is that you're right that Maybe what the creators were going for, as much as we love them, it was going to be too much of a literal shot-for-shot remake. Mm -hmm. I really hope that Netflix is not trying to completely rewrite the story. Yeah, that would be a little more unnerving The show is already very diverse in its voice cast and its representation. Mm -hmm. It's already very creative in how it presents story ideas, the bending itself, very creative. Nothing needs to be, the wheel doesn't need to be remade. Right. They have what they need to build off of. Mm -hmm. And so as long as Netflix isn't tearing apart the show to create something entirely new, then I'm hopeful that it can still turn out the way we want. But again, with the creators leaving, and I, I think we're echoing sentiments that, every fan of this show has yeah they've tweeted about reddited about facebooked about screamed to their parents who have no idea what's going on about like yeah we we, we're all afraid that that they're doing the same mistake honestly mistake over again Mm -hmm. and so i would i would hope that that's not what they're going the only other thing that i can think of is netflix may be wanting to go a more mature route which would be a little unnerving to someone who created it as a kid's show and where I could also see a, a divergence of creative opinion because it wasn't meant for older audiences. But thinking like marketing for Netflix, our, their target audience is no longer 12-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Their target audience is for people who watched the show when they were 12, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. So... Now we're, we have a very different demographic that we're aiming for. Granted, I don't think it's, me- it's meant to be, be going that direction. I have no reason to think that that's what might be happening. But at the same time, like, I mean, like, what I mean to say is I haven't read anything that that's what Netflix was planning on doing. I haven't seen anything that would even hint that that might be the case. This is just me kind of spitballing, like, maybe that's where Netflix was going. Like, their audience is older now, so maybe they're aging it up a little bit. Right. And that might not have boded well with the creators. Yeah. My other thought, and maybe we can close after this because I know we're going a little long. Yeah. <laughs> um, my other thought is that maybe Netflix sees the potential cash cow that they have on their hands and how they can just literally sell subscriptions with Avatar The Last Airbender. We've seen since they added the original show on Netflix a couple months ago 
how it's been trending week after week after week. Yeah. When they added Legend of Korra a couple of weeks ago. Right back it's on top. trending yep. week after week. And so what if Netflix sees, hmm, three seasons isn't enough. Let's completely change the ending so that it continues into season four and season five, which we have seen them do with Stranger Things. Stranger Things was originally marketed as X number of seasons, and I think they've already changed that and extended it by a couple. Really? And so I, I don't think mm-hmm. I would want that. I, I, again, I don't want them to completely redo the show just in live action. I don't want to see the same shots. Right. I don't want to see the same fights. But I don't want a completely 100% different story either. Right, and also not to talk around you or open up another Pandora's box but we did see that happen with Game of Thrones where the story wasn't even necessarily finished yet. They were still working with the author and everything and the creative team at HBO just kind of like, I'm going to wrap this up for y'all. And, you know, some people enjoyed it and most didn't. So it was just like, you know, there's a very different paths that you can go when you're just trying to kind of extend something or wrap something up without any real overarching picture involved. Um, and I know that reference might not, might be a little lost on you, but I, you know, it's, it's been very prevalent on the internet right. that I, that I, wasn't a... I definitely know the development of Game of Thrones. And right. George R. R. Martin still supposedly has two more books, I think, to write in the saga, and yet and the show is it's done. Over, yeah. So, yeah, I, I know that's its own can of worms and own mess. But ultimately, we would hate to see that happen, too. I I don't want this to be aimless just for the sake of giving it more seasons. Yeah. So to wrap things up, we're sad. Yes. We want them to come back. Hopefully. I don't know if maybe the fan outcry can make Netflix meet them halfway (laughs) somehow. Or according to the creators, it quote has the potential to still be good. It does. And I will say other Netflix adaptations, like their adaptation of the, the series of unfortunate events. Very, very good. So maybe they can do it justice on their own. I mean, they have some resources. They do, I mean, but Netflix also puts out a lot of crap. They, they put out a lot of stuff. Also we hear care. about the best of it, yeah. but there's a lot of crap too. <laughs> right. And so, They just kind of throw something up and see what stinks. Yeah, yeah. so we'll see, man. We'll see. <sighs> we'll see. We're still a couple years out probably from seeing this on Any Netflix. Any fruit of it, yeah. Because I, to my knowledge, they haven't filmed or anything. This, this is all going to be in like pre-production where they're still writing scripts and deciding exactly what they want to do with it. So we'll, we'll keep track. Obviously this show, we'll yeah. cover it on the podcast whenever it is released. And so we'll, we'll give more updates and yeah, that's it. That's it. Okay. Let's that's go back to, let's go back to the normal episode. We are talking about book one, chapter four. This is the warriors of Kiyoshi. It was directed by Giancarlo Volpe or Volpe. I'm not entirely sure. It was written by Nick Malice, and it aired on March 4th of 2005, and this one is back to being animated by JM Animation, who also animated the first two episodes of the show. And as we were watching, I pointed out there's, there were just a couple of moments where it's like, this is very different than anything we saw in the previous episode, especially in the scenes where Aang is riding on the elephant koi in the lagoon. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this is the same people who animated episodes one and two? Yes. Okay. Because it was, you saw a lot of the same, like, characteristics of the characters. They were definitely more reflective of one and two than they were of uh, three, the Mm -hmm. Southern Air Temple. 
Yeah, it's all consistent enough that it doesn't make a huge difference. But no. I, I like picking up the subtleties between the different studios. Absolutely. And I also want to point out that not that four episodes is worth a trend, but one, two, and four are all very kid-focused. The first two episodes you asked were are all the adults. And here we are again, episode four. Where did all the adults go? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if that would be more the director than necessarily the animating team that would be in charge of that. But at the same time, so far, there seems to be a correlation that when we see JM doing it, you have the kid or teen centric characters that are that are the main focus. A few small fun things that I would like to point out. First off, I think that Ready the Rhinos is one of the most awesome things I've ever heard somebody say ever. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then a, a couple of like fun facts. I, during this last watch through, decided to look up a couple more names just for translation and see if, what we got. Okay. Unagi obviously is eel in Japanese. I mean, we, we are all fans of sushi, and so we're very familiar with the use of unagi mm-hmm. in that. But a couple other names are Kiyoshi, which is Japanese for saw blade. I don't exactly saw like S A W saw blade. Okay. Saw blade. Cool. Yeah. So I don't know exactly how that applies to the Kyoshi warriors as we see here, but there it is. And then Suki translates from Japanese to like or love. So who knows what that is going to bring in the future. But for now we got the introduction of a fun new character. And I think that is all of the small small things that I had. Was there anything y'all wanted to point out as like a, a funny moment or something that you enjoyed about this episode? I, I love Momo and all of his eating binges. <laughs> yeah, my, my favorite Momo moment was when, well, there was a searching around on the table and then there was when Aang was being followed by his fangirls and uh-huh. he was talking with Katara about the basket and Momo was just like passed out lying on his back, tongue, <laughs> tongue lolling in one of the girl's arms. He, he's living his best life. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. <laughs> no, this, this entire episode was fairly lighthearted, at least for the bulk. There's obviously some things that, that went down, but there was a lot of lightheartedness, and Momo and all of the younger characters definitely were being some type of way. All the fangirls. Yeah. So it was, no, it was, it's a, it was a fun episode. I like the Kiyoshi Warriors. I think it was a nice transition from such a information heavy episode from the one prior. It was mm-hmm. kind of fun to have just like a little lighthearted one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was really a Sokka focused episode in a lot of ways. But before we get into like main discussion topics, I wanted to address Melanie's predictions yeah. in the previous Ta-da. episode because she did get a couple right. Oh yeah, uh, she most talked, of them. Yeah. She talked about them continuing not their journey towards the North Pole, but Aang's journey to do fun things around the world. That is correct. Elephant Koi, I believe, was mentioned in episode two as they were first deciding to set out. He said he wanted to ride the Elephant Koi. So good job, Melanie. Thank you. Thank you. Riding the Elephant Koi. (laughs) And what else did she have, Andrew? The other thing, uh, the thing that wasn't correct is that obviously Kiyoshi is not a part of the Fire Nation. Okay, so who are they? (laughs) Okay, well, Kiyoshi herself was one of the avatars correct she was born on this island 400 years ago which is why it is named kiyoshi island she was an earthbender a few in the cycle ahead of roku and the kiyoshi warriors as we see them are these well obviously they're the warriors who style themselves after kiyoshi's look and just model themselves in her visage okay so the warriors of kiyoshi are are simply suki and friends 
very capable warriors, but following in the the footsteps before that came from Kyoshi. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily earthbenders. No. No. We didn't see any earthbending. We still we haven't didn't. seen any earthbending. Mm-hmm. That's what I was curious about because we have like all of the sub names for the other elements. I'm curious to see what the earth one is. Mm-hmm. They haven't mentioned it, have they? No. We Well, we've seen plenty of firebending. We've seen plenty of airbending from Aang. Mm-hmm. We've seen very minimal waterbending, just the, the little attempts that Katara has made so far. And then the right. moment when Aang entered the Avatar state in episode two. Yeah. So... We have yet to meet to, to see anybody who are really capable earth or waterbenders. Mm. So let's go ahead and go into our main discussion. As I said, this is really a Sokka focused episode. So I think we can spend most of our time talking about him. This wasn't our first time being introduced to Sokka's sort of misogynistic tendencies. Literally, within the first two minutes of the first episode, he's blaming Katara for them getting sucked into the rapids and their, their canoe being destroyed. And that's mm-hmm. what leads Katara to getting angry and discovering the iceberg. So this isn't new, but we see they're riding on Appa and Sokka makes a comment about how girls are just better than sewing. And it's best to leave them alone when they're doing their sewing because that's what they're good for. And men are good at hunting and doing all that other like manly stuff. And <laughs> there's so many times in this episode where I just roll my eyes or just scoff, like, come on, Sokka, you need to be a little bit more progressive than this. I mean, literally anything that came out of his mouth up until the point where he apologized mm-hmm. to the Suki, it was just like, that is literally the exact opposite of what you should ever say to a girl. Right. Mm-hmm. It was just strong with the patriarchy, this one is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then when, they, when they arrive on Kiyoshi and after they've, they've escaped the Unagi the first time, they get ambushed by the Kiyoshi warriors. And as they're tied up on the mast in the center of the town, Sokka's first instinct is, or first question is, where are the men who ambushed us? I just see a bunch of girls in front of me. <laughs> you can't possibly be y'all. Where no, the there's no way. This? And then even after they say, no, it was totally us. That's what we do. We ambush people because we're warriors. And later he's moping. He's even refusing to eat for a moment, but he changes his mind pretty quickly because it's Sokka after all. Yep. And then he comes up on the, the dojo, whatever you want to call it, where the warriors are training. And he says, oh, sorry to interrupt your little dance party. Oh my oh God. My. <laughs> this is like, Shut up. Yeah, the hubris in general, like you could tell that his ego is definitely a big part of his character and the fact that he can't put himself aside to even listen to merit the idea that, you know, someone who isn't a man has anything to offer him, especially in the ways of fighting or training, or someone could do something better than he could. And it was just, the, you know, a huge ego trip the, in, the entire episode. And he calls himself the best warrior in his village, <laughs> as if he's not the only warrior in his village. Yeah, right. like, you mean <laughs> compared to the tiny children that yeah, you're right, training? Right. Yeah, the seven-year-olds aren't as good as you. You're right, Sokka. You got, <laughs> you got him on that one. I mean, obviously, Katara has positioned herself. She'll probably be a great warrior someday. But as it stands, Sokka is the only person above 14 in his village at the moment. I mean, aside from like Grand Grand and other adults like that. But as far as warriors go, Sokka's the only thing that's kind of close to being maybe defined as a warrior. And right. I mean, you saw when the Fire Nation attacked, there wasn't anyone else. No, there was it no was opposition except Sokka. for Sokka's yeah. attempt. Right. But he was the best they had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's not wrong, I guess. <laughs> so he, he decides, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a little demonstration try to block me it's gonna be pretty hard oh and God. suki just wipes the floor with him and 
she hardly moves at the first time. She just like sticks her arms out. Yeah, <laughs> it's done. <laughs> and by the end of it, he's he's got one hand tied to his ankle, and he's face down into the the mat. And I mean, he's blushing pretty heavily. Yeah, yeah. because I mean, he's been humiliated, and I mean, he needed, he needed it. it. Yes, Absolutely, he needed a humbling moment for sure. And you know what I love about that though is that the next time he goes up there, it's to apologize. He right. is humbled. And and he completely humbles himself. Mm-hmm. He, he falls to his knees and says, please train me. I can learn from you. So at least there's some growth from Sokka out of this. Say, right. that's, what, that's not the first time we've seen some character growth in only a mm-hmm. short couple of episodes from Sokka, just showing that he, although puts his foot in his mouth more than, more than not, yeah. that he can come to the realization of when he's not doing the best and could learn more. It's strange to see that he's so hell-bent on considering himself the best with how young he is and how unexposed he is to literally anything else besides his tiny tribe in the South Pole. So it was weird for him to be like, oh yeah, no, I'm the best. There's nothing you can teach me. And somewhere he's never even seen before. Like, that didn't, it doesn't make any sense. And he needed to humble himself. I think that's something that he realizes, too. We, we knew that his father and the other men of the tribe have been gone for two years. And so even if he does consider himself a warrior, he's been existing without a trainer over the last couple of years, without real practice. It's not like they were getting right. like, ambushes all the time in the Southern Water Tribe. Zuko showing up was just sort of a fluke because Aang showed up out of a fluke. And so he hasn't had the opportunity to exercise those training muscles, whether he had them at any point in time or not. And so once he got past the hurdle of Suki and the other Kyoshi warriors being women, being girls, he realized these are people I can learn from and I can further my craft, which is what I wanted to do to protect my people and my family all this time anyways. And I think it's also important to note, even at the end of the episode and we see that Sokka has grown, Suki still points out, you're still not thinking about this correctly. Because he's like, when I first saw you, I saw you as a girl when I should have seen you as a warrior. And she goes, I am a warrior, but I'm also a girl. Like, you're still not getting this. Right. I wrote in my notes in all caps, you can be multiple yes. things. <laughs> it's like, Sokka, wake up. Like, you're not one thing at the exclusion of right, everything else. Exactly. So you're I, multifaceted. I, and I think it just proves he's like, yes, he's taking those first steps of they're legitimate warriors. They're the protectors of this village this town and he can learn from them but it's not to supersede the fact that they're still women like it doesn't change the it, you know they're warriors yes but they're also women like right he, he he still isn't even at the end of the episode after being humbled after being trained and waking up to the fact that that's that's a possibility he's still not quite getting it so it shows growth and it also shows Need for more growth. Yeah, room to grow. Anything else about Sokka? I don't think so. I guess we could just point out that when training with Suki, we start to see that they are they're getting along with each other. Right? right. Once once they start getting into the thick of it with each other, there's one moment he gets a one up on her and they sort of laugh about it after Suki, oh, okay, yeah. So you got me that one time, but let's see if you can do it again. And so there's this playful banter between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And then there is that final kiss on the cheek as they're saying their goodbyes. Mm-hmm. So it, it's nice to see Sokka sort of find somebody to confide in, somebody who's a little bit closer to his age. Right. I feel like this episode was 
starting for love stories all around. Everyone had a love story this this episode, and so yeah, you, a little bit. you start to see this neediness of Aang to Katara. Totally needy, man. Super like. <laughs> Hey, I'm going to go almost murder myself. Like, <laughs> don't you want to make sure that I don't die? <laughs> and Katara's like, you know, no, I'm over you. Do whatever you want. And so you see that kind of Aang really wanting to get Katara's attention. Katara being over Aang's hubris as well. And so she's just like, you know what? No. You know, and then obviously folding because she does care about Aang. Uh, and she was jealous. Yeah. And she was jealous and so it's just like you see all these like very juvenile relationships starting to sprout up and a lot of them are being rooted in like this jealousy or playing through their egos and things like that where you're just like i'm not going to say i like you but i already know you like me so why aren't you doing like you know it's so it's like this really like convoluted way to like get someone else's attention because it's not like i'm not gonna own up to my feelings for you but I think we all know that you should be owning up to your feelings about me. <laughs> You're welcome. Like, and it's, so it's just like this is this really juvenile relationships. And you see him and Sokka has one. And now Aang has one. With Aang, you also see him for the first time dealing with being the avatar in the public eye. He yeah. liked it a lot more than he thought he was going mm-hmm. to. He's just a simple monk. He's yeah. Simple, yeah, and then like fangirling. I loved the bridge scene where he kept like going back and forth and back right. and forth. That was so <laughs> funny. <laughs> he just had like this little fangirl group following him everywhere. I thought it was cute, but he totally let it go to his head. Exactly what Katara said not to do. And he also sees the consequences of being so cavalier with throwing out, I'm the Avatar, I'm the Avatar. Yeah. The split second after he, he tells them, hey, I'm the Avatar, let us go, please. The word spreads. We see that montage of this person oh, telling yeah. this person telling this person. And all of a sudden, Literally Zuko, to the table of Zuko. Yeah, Zuko, who had no clue where Aang was. He, he thought he was a master of evasive maneuvers. <laughs> At this point, he had no clue. And now he's been spoon fed the information basically from Aang himself. It came directly down the line. Mm -hmm. And so we see for the first time, not only Aang dealing with being Avatar in the public eye, but also the consequences of opposition to the Fire Nation. Mm -hmm. Like we've seen some of what the Fire Nation has done, but this is us seeing for the first time the destruction and the havoc that they can wreak when people stand against their will. Mm -hmm. And we see how Kiyoshi is almost destroyed. Right, and I think that's what he realized, definitely what he realized at the end of the episode, whenever Katara was just like, it's okay, they understand, like, why you had to go, you had to get out of there. And then he realized, like, look at all what my aftermath was. Look at what my decision did to these people who just took me in mm-hmm. who fed me who fed my friends who gave us supplies and i'm leaving them in a in a city that's burning essentially and they were fine before he showed up in fact when they first showed up and before they knew he was the avatar they said kiyoshi has stayed out of the war up to this point and we would love for that to continue mm-hmm. correct but by the end we we have seen the hope that ang continues to bring to people as the avatar they repaint the statue they're happy to feed him and house him and all that kind of stuff. And then at the end, the leader of the village still thanks him because despite the destruction that has just come at the hands of Zuko, he's still the avatar. The avatar is still out there and he is still 
hopefully going to be their savior from future battles like this. And I think that kind of ties into what we were talking about in the first episode with Aang. He doesn't like to see people suffer, especially at his own expense. And he will do anything he can to avoid people suffering because of him. And so that's why he, I feel like that's why he felt the need to jump back into the water and get the Unagi and take the extra time, even though it could have risked him getting caught by the Fire Nation. He took the time to douse the whole town so that they weren't burning anymore. Mm -hmm. Anything else? We haven't talked about his little trick that he really wants people to be impressed <laughs> the, with. The marbles. The marbles. <laughs> he just is like, look what I can do. And they're like, again, that's so boring. Like, oh, it was so sad. Now, Zuko, I don't have a whole lot to say about Zuko in this episode. No, not really. He sort of just shows up, throws some fire around, and that's it. Yeah, he fights off the Kyoshi warriors and yeah. burns the town down. But you don't have any, like, real lines. You don't have any, like real interaction with mm -hmm. Zuko. He's just... Just how his temper... Hunting. He's like, you've taught me how to center oh, myself. Yeah. you taught me how to be calm. And then he's like, I have no new information. And then all, the <laughs> all the flames go up. I yeah. thought it was hysterical. Yeah. We just see more interactions with Uncle Iroh and Zuko, and I think they're really funny. Because even after, like, when he found out the important information about where Aang was... He's like, oh, so are you going to eat that? He, they just found out the one key information he wanted to know. And the uncle is like totally focused on dinner. He's like, I'm going to eat it later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that first moment was one of the ones I wanted to highlight with Zuko. Because we, we opened the episode with Zuko meditating in his ship in front of some candles. And that seems sort of uncharacteristic of him mm -hmm. from what we've seen at this point. And so I would like to think that that final interaction between him and his uncle at the previous episode where they just sort of acknowledged that Iroh thinks he's more honorable than Zhao was, and Zuko finds pride and honor in that. So he thinks, okay, well, maybe, maybe there's some wisdom in what Uncle has to say after all. And so he's sitting there meditating, trying to be like his uncle. But then as soon as he finds out, oh, we're, we're no closer to the Avatar than we were a day ago, a week ago, whatever it was, his rage kicks back up. But we see... <laughs> We see how connected his breath is to the fire mm -hmm. as he inhales, the, the flames increase and exhales, the flames decrease. And then all of a sudden, they, they of course, blaze whenever he gets when angry. When he gets upset, yeah. I thought of it like the start of a, um, is a marathon. It's not a, a, you know, a sprint. He's trying to better himself. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that was the most important part that we saw with Zuko and Iroh's interaction is that, yes, he's meditating. And I'm sure he's meditated before. But now he does have this kind of newfound sense of pride because someone who he might not necessarily hinge on his words necessarily or, you know, is absolutely devoted to Uncle Iroh in any real way that we've seen, Iroh thinks highly of Zuko, or at least is there to be that rock and be that encouragement. And so now you're building on top of that. And it's just, it was... It, it always brings it back to it's so early and they're so young that you're like, no, I'm in control of my emotions. You can tell me whatever you need to tell me. I've got this because I'm a man now. And then one little thing and he just flies off the rails. And it's like, nope, nope, you're still a kid. You're still a kid with fire yeah. powers. Like, right. here we are. <laughs> the only other Zuko thing I wanted to mention, unless you guys had more, was that Zuko displays some of the same misogyny that Sokka had mm -hmm. when he mm -hmm. first invades and the, the 
Kiyoshi warriors, along with Sokka, try and take him down, he's able to resist and to push him away. He says, Avatar, come out. I know you're here. These little girls can't save you. And so you'd think maybe sometime Zuko might go through a similar transformation in regard to his views on women that Sokka did in this episode, hopefully. Yeah. Knock him down, Peg, because you just keep seeing this aggressive nature of I can take anything down. And especially when there's not what he would perceive as a quote real threat, like women and things like that. And you just know that it's a setup. Like we just saw it happen to Sokka. Now we have Zuko saying basically the same thing. Mm -hmm. Any other like questions or discussion points we wanted to bring up? I have a question. Mm -hmm. Why come... JK, how is Kiyoshi been dead for 400 years? I don't think she was immediately preceding Roku. So it hasn't just been two cycles of the Avatar? No, I don't think so. Dead. I would assume at least one full cycle ahead of Roku, if not more than that. That would make more sense. I assumed that since we just met, quote unquote, Roku in the last episode, mm -hmm. as like, this was my previous incarnation. And then we meet Kiyoshi, who's an earthbender mm -hmm. in the next episode. Mm -hmm. It's just, I, I felt like it kind of led you to believe right. that that was the one who preceded Roku. But then I was just like, but then Roku would have had to have been two or 300 years old before he died. Or there was some time between avatars or something like it opens up a whole mess of other questions mm -hmm. if that's the case if she's been dead for 400 years and there's only been two other avatars they either have incredibly long lifespans or there's space in between their lifespans before an, a new one is reincarnated so if that's not the case it would i feel like it would make more sense if it would she just isn't that earth or avatar yeah she's the previous yeah i would think i would think so just sort of doing the math it's been 100 years since Aang was frozen, so that leaves 300 years before Aang was frozen to the right. point that Kiyoshi was born, is when they said. So that's, let's see, that'd be earth, fire, air, water, earth, fire. So that's five, six avatars before Roku. Right. And assuming that all of them lived at least 50 years. Yeah, 50, 60 years. That, we that would have, up. yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's far more reasonable. And especially since Aang does take up most of that time with being frozen in an iceberg for 100 years, mm -hmm. I felt that, I was just like, how was that possible? So I feel <laughs> like she, she would have had to have been, but I also felt like I was led to believe that yeah, we yeah. just met Roku, who, and now we know the Avatar cycle, so going backwards it was fire, and the, the one previous would have been Earth, so I was just like, so we've met the fire Avatar, now we're meeting the Earth Avatar, but doesn't necessarily line up with the timeline. I'd be curious to go back to the Air Temple and see if maybe we caught a glimpse of Kiyoshi right. in, in the lineup. In the and I felt like I did. That's why I yeah. wanted to to bring that up. I'll yeah. I'll, I'll rewatch it before our next episode just yeah. to see if it's there. Yeah, if she does appear immediately preceding Roku, it could just be a continuity error. But yeah, I think it's at least a full cycle between. Yeah, them. we're just nerding out about the math. Yeah. you really are, and I was yeah. wondering how long that was going to go. <laughs> yeah, no, it went on way longer than I was expecting. But at the same time, I was just like, it was one of those things because. The main dude of Kiyoshi says two things, and it's just very strange because he throws them out there, and then you have to be like, what are the implications of what you just said? Mm -hmm. One of them was that Kiyoshi died 400 years ago. 
or ha- hasn't been alive for four or what he said born 400 years ago born 400 years ago the second thing was kiyoshi has managed to stay out of a hundred year war with a fire nation what <laughs> like yeah. how was that possible if the airbenders couldn't do it how could they do it right i mean i was just like you're, you're thinking it's like so even if kiyoshi's an island Kiyoshi's maybe further away from the rest of the, you know, the Earth Kingdom. How are they immune to the attack of the Fire Nation unless they just weren't considered? Well, I, I would lean towards that because we said that the airbenders were wiped out because of the search for the Avatar. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's why they were just completely decimated. Kiyoshi Island, maybe it's known that earthbenders don't live there we didn't see any earthbenders and i would assume if there were earthbenders they would have participated in the fighting we saw Hmm. so maybe well they stayed out of the war so i was i was about to say maybe that the earthbenders that did live at kiyoshi were wiped out before but they just said they've stayed out of the war so i would just assume it's known that the the protectors of this area are non-earthbending warriors and so the fire nation didn't even see non-benders as a threat Hmm. i had not thought of that as in like the Fire Nation is literally only going after other benders. That even has its own like World War II kind of connotations too. Yeah, where just certain areas were completely ignored because yeah. they weren't perceived as, as having any real either pull in any direction or a threat to any particular side. Yeah, certain, certain people deemed as more worthy of combat or more worthy of being considered as enemies than others non-benders being seen as lesser than gotcha anything else sorry i'm quiet no it's all right this this wasn't a super content heavy episode Mm -mm. well we can go ahead and move into our predicting the future um so the next episode melanie is titled the king of omashu again with these names (laughs) king of omashu maybe we'll know some more about the earth benders then maybe maybe or zuko's dad Maybe, because ha- they just keep saying his father. His father, they haven't given him a name, right? I don't believe his name has been said yet. Mm-mm. Interesting. Maybe we'll get some more background on him. I mean, yeah. you, you get a lot of connotation, obviously, because he's Prince Zuko. Right. Right. And but we haven't gotten his form of physical hierarchy name. there yet. No, you don't know any real information about him. So besides maybe that. it'll go to some Fire Nation background. Mm -hmm. So last we left the trio, they were being pursued by Zuko leaving Kiyoshi. Mm -hmm. So any thoughts where, I mean, obviously there's something about Omashu, but any other thoughts about what Omashu might be? No. Okay. Well, that's fine. You got a couple good guesses there. I did. Uh, We'll see how they line up when we next record, which will be a few days from now. The next episode won't be back to back with this one. So. We would love to hear from you, audience, to tell us some of your thoughts on, again, episodes that we've talked about, episodes that are yet to come, and things that we may have missed or didn't cover and you'd like our thoughts on. So that is the end of the third episode of Crossroads of Destiny. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash xroadspod and at xroadspod on Twitter. Please, please, please go over to Apple Podcasts. Consider dropping us a rating and review if you're liking what you're hearing. And that'll help us expand our audience. We want to appear high in the directory when people search for Avatar on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to email feedback and ideas, you can email xroadspod at gmail.com. And again, you can leave a voicemail 
3145-YIP-YIP. That is 314-594-7947. If you keep it under a minute and keep it direct and ask us questions, give us information, whatever you see fit, we would love to include you on the show. So Melanie, where can people find you online? On, let's just do Instagram. Instagram, Melanie Amanda 44 Okay, Andrew? And yeah, you can try and contact me through the email of Xroad Podcast or the Twitter. Okay. And the best place to find me, I'm very active on Twitter. You can find me at Shadadada. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. You can also find my other podcasts, the Cinescope Podcast, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them. The Twitter for that is Cinescope Pod, and the website is thecinescopepodcast.com. My other podcast in American Workplace has ended, but we talked about every single episode of The Office, which was a lot of fun. You can find it on Twitter, Workplace Pod, and the website, workplacepodcast.com. And show notes and information for this show can be found at xroadspod.com. Xroadspod for everything. And that is all for this week. We will talk to you in episode four when we talk about book one, chapter five, The King of Omashu. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Yep, yep.